Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to Nodology, sponsored by CSO, the cult fanzine. And my very special guest today is Nat, otherwise known as Quarrydoors on Twitter. Hi, Nat. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hi, I'm not doing too badly. It's really good to be here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for agreeing to come on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. That's ah, my pleasure. So we mentioned Nat a few times before on the podcast, and uh, you're responsible for whether you realise it indirectly or directly, um, a lot of other podcasts starting up. And your show, I guess, is a couple of years now since we've had one, unfortunately. Yeah. was Bridging the Rift. Yeah, Bridging the Rift. Last one was April 2011. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it has been quite a while now, over two years. And that show you did with Katrina and Eric. Yes, uh, Eric Stadnick. Mm-hmm. You can now hear, um, well, you can hear Katrina on the wonderful Verity podcast. It's very good. This is very good. Very entertaining. Um, mm. it, they, they cycle hosts a bit, so she isn't on every episode, but they're all, no, they're all right. worth listening to. And um, and several former guests on Bridging the Rift on there as well, including mm. Liz Miles, who was on our very first episode. She's brilliant. She's very funny. She is very entertaining. And her, her, the, the, you can never really tell if she's being sarcastic or not. Which no, is, I get that impression too. Which is, um, <laughs> makes her, and she's very often sarcastic, which makes her very interesting podcasting. <laughs> and um, yes, Eric is um, on, um, or guest on lots of podcasts, uh, as guested on here, and um, is also the regular host on, I think, two podcasts now. The, um, That's right. Book, Doctor Who Book Club podcast with um, with Sean, and mm-hmm. that that is one of my favourite podcasts. Absolutely it's a great show. wonderful. I I confess that I don't read the books, but I really just like them explaining the plotline of books, and um, I love their opinions. It's a very good podcast, and um, now also um, the Doctor Who Writers Room as well, which um, with that that's great. That's got um, Carl on. And um, that is just wonderful. Basically, they focus on the perspective of looking at the writing only rather than Mm -hmm. how it actually turned out, what the intention of the writer was. So they have to kind of put aside what the actors maybe did or what was decided in Mm -hmm. rehearsal. So what what decisions had to be made and just kind of look at it it from an almost literary point of view, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah, they're, they're both very good. Um, so, I mean, Bridging the Rift, although you haven't had an episode out for a little while, um, you were saying before we started recording, they are now available if people do want to download and have a listen. Yes, um, well, um, they, they had been available because I was still paying for hosting every single mm-hmm. month, but uh, I stopped that about three months ago. And uh, yeah. I've just recently, due to a, a popular demand of one person asking via email, <laughs> have uploaded them all to Dropbox. Uh, so if you if you go to um, well if you go to the bridging the rift website by the time mm-hmm. this episode is released I've got my act together and put a blog post at LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. They're also no like, uh, yeah they're linked from our from our Twitter account. If, if, uh-huh. e- even if I haven't got around to it due to, due to some terrible happenstance. <laughs> and it is a really good show. Uh, I'm not just saying that because you're on. It is a really good show and definitely worth seeking out. Well, the. Not sure if we actually said the the idea of the show um, was to kind of look at the fandom rather than Doctor Who. I'm not sure if yeah, you were always that was one of the appealing things about it. Yes, it it, it, 
it's a niche that I don't think anyone's filled since mm. we stopped. Um, I'm not sure how successful we were. I think we often talk about Doctor Who rather than the fandom, but every every uh, every episode we would try to look at a different aspect of fandom, especially fan creativity. At the time, I um, was regularly doing Doctor Who fan arts, so I had this kind of fan art view of the world and, and mm-hmm. just kind of... I always found fan art incredibly positive. Nobody sits down and spends hours and hours doing an amazing piece of fan art to say, I didn't really like that episode. Yeah, so it, they do it because they love it. Absolutely. So it's, it's, always a, it's always really positive. So fandom is about love. It's, you know, occasionally it goes wrong. People become a bit obsessive about how their mm-hmm. favourite show is being done wrong. and Mentioning no forums. Yeah, no forums <laughs> and... Um, no uh, notorious individuals either. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I know the one you're, you're, you're talking about. Yeah, well, there's one or two. But um, <laughs> no, generally, uh, it's it's it comes from comes from a place of love. And and my favourite thing about about fan arts and being able to kind of re- I, often we'd review episodes by just taking the fan arts and looking at that. And mm-hmm. it would I would be able to absolutely love the fan art, even if I hated the episode. And there are a few where I just really didn't like the episode at all. But the fan art mm-hmm. is just so... It, it, it kind of lets you look through a lens of somebody who loved the loved the episode or loved that monster or loved that scene and kind of shows it to you in a way that makes you go, oh, I understand now. And, yeah. you know... A different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. there, there is a notorious... Well, it... I'm not sure if notorious is the word. There is a very notable to me um, piece of fan art that somebody did of Adric that okay. is just he kind of he, he sort of radiates light. He looks angelic, and you're sort of like, oh right, that, that must be. <laughs> I kind of see why some people like him. I suppose then if he if he's it's almost like a religious icon. It's, oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, yeah, no, that fan creativity was a... We always had fan music on the end, lots of trock and so forth. Yeah. Um, and... And Filk, am I getting that right? Yeah, Filk. Yes, I, yeah. I write my own Filk, in fact, although ne- that never made it onto the show. Um, uh. No, it, it was... It was a very positive experience. Unfortunately, I uh, I... I burnt out um i i was a little bit over ambitious well i very greatly enjoyed them so yeah seek it out it's bridging the rift just type into google you find the website there and uh several hours of enjoyment there for certainly for me and i'm sure most of our listeners would uh, be interested in listening to it yes we've got 24 episodes up and um there is there is a there's still one missing episode there's our our there's our shadow our unfinished episode we did a <laughs> Very near the end, I think before we pivoted into being an audio zine, mm-hmm. um, which that audio zine, it got so much positive feedback, the the first issue, everybody loved uh-huh. it. And then um, we did a call for submissions for the second issue and we got several yeah. and gradually everybody dropped out. And it must be very difficult if you're relying on people to provide the subject matter. It's quite hard if there's not much coming in i think that i i i have a great deal of respect for editors editors of anthologies and so forth that mm-hmm. the amount of 
work that is involved in tracking people down and persuading them to contribute and making sure it's up to the right quality. Yeah. And keeping that up for every single issue as well. You know, zines, I have a great deal of respect for zines. I have a great deal of respect for anthologies. And at that point in my life where I had burnt out and I was trying to come up with a way to keep going. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's not, not just what was going on. The Oodcast, the wonderful Oodcast, had, um, had just started releasing their, their all singing and all metaphorically dancing episodes of wonderfulness. <laughs> and They are very talented. I was just kind of, they are astoundingly talented. And I was genuinely kind of thinking, well... I have to raise my game. The mm. the level of quality, you know, if, if people could be listening to the Udcast, why are they bothering to listen to us spending an hour and a half <laughs> talking about fan art that no one can see? Because <laughs> that was what well, our a lot of people well. did. I know a lot of people who really rated that show. So uh... yes, yeah, so I I have been listening to various podcasts recently where where people have just spontaneously started praising the show. So. I, I do, I do fully, fully realise that it was well liked, but I, I would, um, to do it, I would love to do it some more if someone else was to volunteer to edit and perhaps moderate. Uh, if someone else could keep us to time, that would probably be good. Katrina did, did valiantly try. She would say, yeah. no, you know, we've been going for an hour and I go, oh, well, let's just talk a little bit longer. And then I forget because of my memory, my, my ability to be distracted is, is quite astounding. Is there a possibility that the the missing episode may make it onto the internet at some point? There, I, it is. It is sort of three or four hours long, um, and That's a lot of there editing. are quite a few technical problems where we were dropping out and so forth, or whether when we mm-hmm. didn't have various bits of fan art and had to look them up. So, mm-hmm. I said it was a, a fan art special with um, fan artist Dracula Saurus, and it is really good. I have listened to the first hour and gone, "This is this is great," but. At some point, I will. Let's make this my challenge to get it get it done in time for the fiftieth anniversary. Because that's that would be very cool. Yeah, let, let, let's let's see about that. Maybe we'll maybe I'll maybe we'll record something else to go with it. I don't know. I haven't talked to anyone else involved. <laughs> having having that some sort awesome. of introduction to explain why it it, yeah. it seems to be back from the dead. Uh, maybe maybe we could get tom baker to come on and kind of go shut up oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) record some 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 linking narration over over the the bits where i couldn't be bothered to edit it or maybe get ian levine to submit some (laughs) animation for it (laughs) yes reconstructions of all the fan art yeah because half of it's not online anymore and no one can say it that sort of thing (laughs) i like the idea it's cool so when i asked you to to come on Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we'd have a bit of a chat and uh, you've got a subject that you'd like to have a bit of a, a talk about and I, it's something that I'm a real sucker for uh, and that's kids TV programs specifically science fiction yeah 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 so what were the ones I mean uh, there's going to be one obvious one uh, that we've already mentioned many times Doctor Who mm-hmm. what were the ones that really appealed to you as a child it's it's funny I I do I, I kind of got into Doctor Who fandom in part because it was it, it was kind of far more socially acceptable to say that I was a Doctor Who fan than to confess that I was a, a children's TV science fiction fan. 
Yeah, Doc, Doxy's far more cool, even you know, even in the nineties. There were there were days when it wasn't cool to be a Doctor Who. Fan. Yeah, but compared to to some of the things, <laughs> it's 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 cool to say I like Doctor Who than it than it is to to um, say you know even even the Tomorrow People, which I, which is it, 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 that that's my that's my major one. Um, mm. People go, what's that? And then you have to say, oh, it's a children's TV program. And um, yeah, but I've, I've, I've kind of got to the point where I don't really care what other people think, so I will just happily start waffling on about whatever I like. And um, <laughs> and you know, these days. So for anyone out there who perhaps didn't catch the Tomorrow People first time around, because I think I'm right in saying it's had a couple of, it had a, a kind of um, not quite a Doctor Who style reboot, but it had a, a sort of second attempt at a, a series. A bit further down the line, because I think the original series aired in the seventies. Am I right in saying? Yeah, uh, the original series was um, early seventies, right through to I think seventy nine ish time. But I haven't mm-hmm. haven't done the research. There's somebody listening right now, shaking their fists. <laughs> That's wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was originally a nineteen seventies series. I got into the show because of the nineteen ninety two revival. Um, mm-hmm. That was it. Was the same. It was the same um, creator as um, the 70s series, Roger Price. Uh, okay. He'd come back for Thames TV again, um, so Children's ITV at the time, to um, basically redo some of our people. It wasn't a continuation. It doesn't, it doesn't fit into continuity with the original series. Um, mm. I know various people have tried to do that. Uh, when Big Finish... Uh, revived the original Tomorrow People. Yeah. They um, they put in some throwaway lines to say that the um, the new series was part of their canon. I was not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I like them. I don't want them to be this. I don't want them to exist in the same universe. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but but I do I do like both. Um, no, it's... I have vague memories of the Tomorrow People. I seem to remember there was some business with belts that they would. They had these kind of, is it like sort of interdimensional or they could go through time or how, how did it work? Okay, so so you're talking about the, the 1970s series. Yeah. So um, the basic premise is that the Samara people are the next stage of human evolution. Mm-hmm. So they're not from the future, which is what people often assume from the name. They are, they are from our current time. They're just ordinary kids and teenagers um at the point of going through puberty or maybe a little bit later depending on on the plot they mm-hmm. um go through a, a process called breaking out where yeah. um basically the changes or puberty result in them them kind of blossoming into having these um psionic abilities mm-hmm. the main two are uh, the ability to communicate telepathically with each other mm-hmm. um generally not to read the minds of um, of the general population, which they refer to as saps, which I always found a bit <laughs> insulting. Um, that's short for homo. <laughs> Do you think J.K. Rowling might have uh, stolen that a little bit for muggles? Mm, possibly. But it's, it's saps short for homo sapiens, so... Ah, OK. That's, that's why they're saying it. But, yeah, but essentially they, they can talk to each other over over extremely great distances like anywhere on the globe they can communicate 
and um, the other major ability is that they can um, they can teleport from one place to another, which in the original series is called jaunting. Um, mm, yeah, I've heard that phrase used before. Yes, well, it's it's taken from um, an Alfred Bester book. Uh, oh, which one is it? Something. I'll get this wrong. Is it the Stars My Destination? I can't remember. It, 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 there's a book where. There's this ability, this psionic ability of, of highly evolved humans to jaunt from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the uh, original series, they need, um, they can do this short distances on their own control. But to yeah. be able to go further, they need to have special belts called jaunting belts. And they need the help of a computer called Tim, a uh, talking computer uh from it's actually kind of an alien computer from the galactic trigonometry or the trig and um kind of kind of a representative of the galactic federation Mm. and um you're kind of getting the idea that there's sort of this um this space opera going on in the background of of what's otherwise quite a quite a domestic sort of thing um they have a they they all um gather together in a secret underground laboratory. Um, did I say laboratory or laboratory? Lab, laboratory. <laughs> it's a laboratory. Um, called The Lab, which is actually in an abandoned London underground station, which is kind of cool. Mm. And um, so that's the that's the original setup. Um, they have uh-huh. this thing called the prime barrier, which means they can't kill. They're kind right. of, because they're more highly evolved, they are they, they can't can't kill anything. Or at least any other human beings. It's it's kind of inconsistent, but the idea it is... sounds a little bit like the Prime Directive in Star Trek, which they pretty much always fail to stick to. Nobody. It's only when Big Big Finish re, um, continued the series, and in like the second or third story, they they had someone break the Prime Barrier and annoy all mm. the fans to the point where I know several <laughs> fans, including myself, just went, "No, nope, not listening to this." <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Which I, I've listened. To, I've listened to them since, and they're they're really mm. good. That it wasn't. Maybe they should have left that to series two. <laughs> yeah, too much too soon. Yeah, um, I know the, the so the original. The original concepts, um, when you go back to the seventies, is that, and you know, they have a robot called Jedekiah who can shape shift, and they have um, that. It's kind of a sort of family setup within, although you never see any of their parents. You've got a family setup mm. where there's the the older um, kind of patriarchal kind of big brother character John, and mm. then there's there's the um, the the younger characters who who he kind of bosses around. Um, and um, Tim, the, the computer's kind of quite quite an uncle sort of figure, and then there's um, Carol and Stephen and um, Tyso and um, so on and so on. And it goes on for so long. They they change frequently. Um, rather notoriously, some of the characters are just written out, and that no, really. Well, sorry, they're not written out. They're just dropped because um, the I, I suppose it would have been Thames Television insisted mm. they couldn't act, and Roger Price oh, was so God. annoyed that he just never, re- just, they just never got referred to again. Usually, when characters were written out, they get sent to the Galactic Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you'd, you'd, you'd have these. Um, I, I guess we're supposed to believe that these thirteen-year-olds have kind of gone off to be ambassadors um, somewhere, <laughs> and uh, basically never referred to again until until Big Finish takeover. Um, 
and and in the novels actually um there, there's novelizations and there's a there's a couple of original novels as well which is nice well one's an original novel and one's an original short story collection mm-hmm. so but that that's the original series um uh, for me what got me what what really started getting me into um children's sci-fi was um i would have been 13 years old when i saw the original tomorrow people uh, sorry mm-hmm. saw the my original the, the remake tomorrow people the 1992 yeah. series um yeah. that starred uh, christian schmidt todd from neighbors as uh, adam oh, newman yeah. he was he was the uh the kind of the the first character we see washed up on a beach mm-hmm. um finding this mysterious alien spaceship and um uh i i apparently most of fandom really hates the first story even the ones who are fans of the new series don't like it but that's in in a funny way that's the only one i actually like um, right. <laughs> because i i saw this this show it it captured my imagination in an absolutely kind of ridiculously and i i became kind of secretly obsessed with this show i'm not sure if i ever told anyone i have memories of sort of sat in art class hearing other people talking about it thinking should i tell them how much that meant to me and how much i've been upset no i shouldn't so I, I think by the time I was 13, I knew, I knew that that was not going to go down well. Or maybe it, maybe it was and I was misreading. But. Well, that's the thing with these days, obviously, because of the rise of the internet. You've got these huge communities of people who all have those sort of same... They latch onto a particular programme or something they really like. And, yeah, it's not difficult to find a whole bunch of people who really enjoy the same thing that you do. So... Although there are some bad aspects of the internet, I think that's one of the cool things about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, although, as I said, I I did when I finally did get onto the internet, which would have been five years later, mm-hmm. uh, in about ninety seven, I did go and look up Tomorrow People stuff because I was, you know, I have remained obsessed with the Tomorrow People for mm-hmm. for my entire life uh, from thirteen onwards, and I'm thirty three now, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I found lots of people who are fans of the new series and they all just said that the one series I loved was rubbish. <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the fans of the original series really, really, really didn't like the new series. And we'd say oh, one mm. or two were okay, but, but didn't like the one I liked. So, so I, That does echo something that seems to happen in Doctor Who fandom as well. I remember a friend and I went to a, a quiz that was being held locally and we were sat next to... Uh, a table with a couple of guys on it and between our two tables we were the only two sort of teams that had any kind of reference back to the original series because everyone else was like really young so like in their 20s so most of them their only frame of reference was the new series Mm. and these two guys were quite bitter and they kept on referring to the real series and things like that which i thought was (laughs) yeah uh, (laughs) not great but yeah very, very much the 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 uh, original series fandom are generally incredibly dismissive of the new series. Mm. There are a few who, who who like it or see it or appreciate it, but but mm-hmm. the the fact that they didn't continue, that they changed the way the they changed the way the series works so that yeah in the in the new series there's no there's no jaunting belts. You can just jaunt anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no there's no Tim there there is an alien spaceship and it has a telepathic um, computer that 
everyone can communicate with that kind of they just sort of get feelings from it rather than mm-hmm. so it's it's not kind of basil exposition in robot form or computer <laughs> form it, it is its own it, it's it's very very different feel and you know obviously it's not in an underground station it's in a spaceship on a pacific island and mm. all, all of those differences um it's much more international so you've got um cast members who are american australian british mm-hmm. and they, they kind of keep that mixture going all the way through that there's yeah there's one australian two americans it was a nickelodeon co-production uh the 90s right. one uh, because in the 80s uh the 70s series was shown on nickelodeon in the 80s so all the american mm-hmm. fans remember it from the 80s right. whereas the british fans tend to be from the 70s mm-hmm. um obviously well tend to have been the age where you would have watched it in yeah. the 70s and mm-hmm. um then then there there's the new series fans who love the show in the the 90s and and the show had a couple of years gap between some of its series so mm-hmm. you've got the first series i watched in 92 and then they didn't have another series until 95 By which point I had been obsessing. I had obsessed with it. I had worked out what I thought was going to happen next. I had Mm -hmm. really got a very clear idea. And it came back and it really wasn't the same. And Mm -hmm. later, I mean, in adulthood, I'm aware that the writers changed. Uh, Roger Price. Well, there was this kind of idea that Roger Price had become a recluse and no one could find him and he was missing. And that was the myth in fandom. I mean, I, I used to run a... I used to run a, a, a fan site that, mm-hmm. and it was very much that I had tracked down on eBay the the VHS of the first um, the first serial, which we call Origin Story, but mm-hmm. it was just called The Tomorrow People at the time, yeah. and I'd actually gone to lengths of buying computer equipment to digitise video so I could basically you record it onto computer and take pictures of everything and put it up i mean this would have been in wow. about 2000 and so i put up this this website that was devoted to just the first just the first serial the 1992 right. series not the 95 yeah. onwards just that one and had mm. um absolutely loads of detail and i had gone to extreme lengths and you know no one ever contacted me about it anything it was just it was just this little all that hard work obsessive labor of love but I I, you know I I had and and um even then the video had been edited to kind of be feature length and they'd taken the starts and ends and episodes out and when I finally got it on dvd years later because it is out on dvd it's all out on dvd now yeah um I I watched I watched it and there were scenes that I thought that I had kind of met, I must have made up because I could remember mm-hmm. them and they weren't on the VHS that were back in this and made me go, oh, I, I, I that wasn't my head cannon or whatever. That was actually what right. happened. It was just, I mean, there's, there's this whole extra part about how one of the characters, um, the, the youngest character at the time, Kevin, who's, who's kind of, the, the origin story is that, that, um, Adam previously has washed up onto this this island, found the spaceship, and started living there in a tent. Uh, he's he's the older one. He's the the equivalent of John, but much more laid back. Uh, right. Todd from Neighbours look. Um, and um, and then, meanwhile, there's this um, 
young British kids, about 12, 11 or 12, um, with his friend uh, Megabyte, who is an American living in London, and they're mm-hmm. kind of travelling around on the bus. Meanwhile, in America, um, this girl, Lisa, is um, being forced into an extremely embarrassing situation by her mother to be, be in a talent show where everyone else is a much smaller child. And, and, right. and her friend from, from school is there and she's really embarrassed. And you get this scene where she breaks out due to the embarrassment, she spontaneously teleports. And in the, orig- in the original series of the remake, so in, the, mm-hmm. in that single 1992 series, there's this kind of beacon. So anyone that breaks out gets jumped in the ocean and the idea mm-hmm. in the novelization um, is that, um, well, I mean, I'd worked it out as well, but the ship had been there for thousands of years, and when right. it had landed, there wasn't a beach there. It, it had been somewhere safe, but now the beacon makes people fall in the sea and potentially drown, <laughs> which happens God. a lot in the first serial. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I used to... I, I was obsessed with this to the point where I wrote fan fiction, which... Um, I dread to think if I actually uploaded that to the internet. I really do genuinely dread to think. Um, <laughs> I would I would write fan fiction um, where they'd wh- what would happen next, which I I wrote after the ninety five series as a kind mm. of alternative universe. No, that's not what this happened. Is this is what been. happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was. So, do you think it's ripe for a another reboot, or do you think it's kind of it's kind of wrapped up and that's what, as much as we'll get of it. Well, the the it, it is currently being rebooted by the CW oh. network in in America. Uh, mm. We we have a. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there is a huge amount of TV science fiction aimed at teenagers about to hit our screens um, potentially okay. because of uh, Stephanie Meyer, the author of Twilight's new book. Is, yeah. Well, new new hit book is called The Host, a series of books. Mm. It's a, it's kind of a science fiction teen romance. It's kind of a, a mixture between um, it's, it's sort of invasion of the body snatchers kind of idea, but with a love story. Yeah, right. So in a world where everybody has been taken over by it, by aliens, these in a world, yeah, the, these two, <laughs> the, these two um, lovers are on the run, and then one of them gets gets taken over by an alien. But her love is so strong that, that yeah. It's um, that that's current. I mean, that's currently in cinemas. Uh, it's been absolutely panned, but it's in cinemas. <laughs> and because of that, uh, the CW network they do things like um, Vampire Diaries, Secret oh, yeah. um, Circle, uh, Gossip Girl, uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, Arrow, mm-hmm. that network. Oh yeah. Um, they have kind of at, you know off the back of the success of Arrow and the host, they're kind of going more down the line of somewhat gritty. Uh, science fictional things so rather than it being a series of you know I absolutely love this sort of thing as well I love kind of stuff that's aimed at teenagers too Mm -hmm. so I I love the vampire diaries and I really liked secret circle I was very sad that got cancelled um and I'm a big fan of arrow as well no they they've currently got I think they've got three or four different let's see if I can remember uh they've got a number of pilots one of which is the tomorrow people the tomorrow people remake um seems to be kind of half the original series and half kind of made slightly more 
in the CW vein, it's being rebooted by one of the people behind The Vampire Diaries and okay. one of the people behind Chuck. And, um, yeah, they've cast about four people so far, one of whom is called Steve, the character is called Stephen, and one of whom is the, the villain called Jedekiah. So they are mm. remaining, at least they are taking their inspiration from the original 70s series. Yeah. So... So it all depends on whether the, the pilot's a hit as to whether yeah. we'll see any more, I guess. Uh, and I, I really hope that we do. Uh, I think they're mm-hmm. kind of trying to sort of pitch it as kind of half the original Tomorrow People series, half mm-hmm. uh, kind of that crossed with the secret circle, I think. With maybe maybe some aspects of it being like heroes or X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um so it will be very, very interesting to see how that turns out. I, it, it, it was absolutely bizarre when it was when it was announced. It was about I think it was the twentieth anniversary. It was announced yeah. the week of the twentieth anniversary of the ninety two series premiering, and I had prepared to do a whole bunch of stuff about that. And then suddenly, this remake gets announced, and I I flailed quite a lot. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I was just kind of going around going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Um, so has this uh, inspired you to do some more fanfic? No, no. I'm, I, 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 for a while, I didn't aspire to be a writer, and I did notice that every time I tried to write anything, it ended up being kind of the tomorrow people, regardless of right. whether I was trying to have it be about how adults ended up being about kids and teenagers and and hey they might be looking for tie-in books when the series takes off so yeah probably keep your hand probably don't have the experience and there are some amazing there is some amazing fan fiction out there for the for Mm. the original series and the new series i i I am on the i lurk on um tp fict uh (laughs) mailing list and there's still a steady steady trickle of of good stuff on there (laughs) but um yeah it it, it, for, for years, I would regularly have a dream where I would dream I was watching a remake of the, a reboot of The Tomorrow People and that it was really mm-hmm. good. And then I'd wake up and be distraught that it wasn't true. So <laughs> it, it was very weird. Maybe but, it's a premonition. Um, no, because I can remember all the details <laughs> of what was happening in the, those remakes and, and they, they weren't... They weren't um, American television-y ones. I, I was definitely mm. watching them on CITV, so... <laughs> <laughs> I think this is this is updating it a bit. I mean, the, the original series did have... Well, they, I mean, it's always had an aspect of having kind of like a heartthrob involved. Mm. Um, the the original series, towards the end, had, um, had the character of Mike um, with his band, who was a kind mm. of actual real-life pop star who they cast him mm-hmm. as, so... Oh, well, I wouldn't say star, but he did have a real-life band, which got some success mm-hmm. through to this. Um, but no, um, the Smart People, um, coincidentally, not at all due to this tie-in, there is a, a book coming out very soon now, in the next couple of months, um, mm-hmm. called Jaunts, that okay. is the whole, about the Smart People including the yeah. new series and the mm-hmm. name of the writer is blanking on me which is bad because i follow him on twitter and facebook but <laughs> i'm just remembering his user picture and the name of his book um which is unhelpful but um certainly if you google <laughs> that uh tp yeah. jones is what he's is on facebook and twitter 
Mm-hmm. Um, very excited about that as well. Not least because he originally started saying he was quite disparaging of the new series, and then eventually he's kind of started liking it. So maybe it won't mm-hmm. be a, the typical thing of the classic series fan panning the new series, uh, which happens much more in Tomorrow People fandom due to their due to it not being a continuation, due to it being a ignore ignore the original completely, do it mm. again. Which I think the the original creator was allowed. Uh, Roger Price. Yeah. Then no, we've got there's there's a whole bunch of other CW shows coming out. Um, I'm trying mm-hmm. to uh, there's there's one called oh one's called The Hundred, and it's it's kind of post apocalyptic. Everyone mm-hmm. on Earth is wiped out by some calamity, and they've come back in a spaceship to repopulate the planet. It's okay. kind of half Earth to, and, oh, and everyone's a kid or a teenager. Or a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of Earth two meets the tribe. Do you, do you remember the tribe? Um, I don't. That was, I think it's from New Zealand. If it's not, it's Australia. Um, that was a. Uh, Sounds a bit Lord of the Flies. Nineties. Well, I mean, it was it was a nineties um, children's TV series that ran for years and years and years and years and years. Mm. The idea was that due to some event, all the adults disappear, and yeah. basically, youth culture kind of develops into into series of different tribes, and and you follow the their, their exploits in this world with no adults. Mm. Um, I mean, that's not. Uh, original at all really it's um what's that what's that uh original series of star like series one star trek the 1960s original series um is it i've been dipping in and out of that over the last month or two and i can't recall that one i've got to admit is it miri there's a couple of somebody out there listening there's there's several that have kids but essentially Mm -hmm. they go down to a planet where there's only children and all the all the adults have died and they eventually this is a spoiler they realize that the kids are actually really old and have been there for a long time or no right. that's you know that's a different i'm mixing up several different star trek episodes now which is which often happens <laughs> now that's the one where you when they get to a certain age they die or is yeah. or is that an episode of stargate atlantis no that, oh, no, that also, does ring a bell yeah there, that does ring a there bell. there are so many this isn't this isn't an original thing at all um Children's BBC very recently, well, last three or four years, did a series called The Spartacle Mystery, uh, okay. which is about, uh, yeah, I do still watch children's TV. If, it, if it's <laughs> science fiction, I watch it. <laughs> Where basically a bunch of kids, um, due, to, uh, due to an unexplained scientific event, all the adults disappear and the kids mm-hmm. are kind of stuck in a world with only kids. So it, it, it's um, it's something that appeals to children, just that idea of suddenly having being forced to have being in control, yeah. being in control, but also being vulnerable and all that sort of thing. It's it, mm-hmm. it's interesting, and the tribe has that. But eventually, you know, after several years of the tribe running, it's kind of got its own continuity, and mm-hmm. and everyone's getting a bit older, so which is interesting. Um, didn't and of course we've had Wizard versus Aliens on uh, yeah. CBBC as well and Sarah Jane Adventures of course yeah um, both absolutely wonderful um, both both by Russell T Davis and, well and mm-hmm. Phil Ford and now I the first children's science fiction series that I really really loved that I was very into before the Tomorrow People was Dark mm-hmm. Season. Uh, that's yeah, that was Russell T. Davies. 91, Russell, Russell T. Davies. Um, mm-hmm. I'd been 12 when that aired. That 
I love that. That was, as far as I was concerned, that was the greatest thing until the Tomorrow People came around. And mm -hmm. again, I, I have very, very fond memories of that. And I do regularly watch it. Um, not least because one of my friends is Marcy. She, she is, she just is. <laughs> um, so whenever, whenever we, we have mutual friends over, I will insist that we watch just one episode so they can marvel yeah. at the fact that, that Marcy is my friend, Kim. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's, that's a show where you essentially have this character who's, who's a 12 year old girl. who's also basically the doctor and mm -hmm. her two companions. And, um, it's very kind of, it's very millennial, even though it's 91, it's all about kind of how the end of a century, the end of the millennium is a, t is a time when people believe that, that terrible things can happen. It's all very, it's got a very dark feeling to it. Yeah. And it, it, it's got two serials. The first one is about everybody in the school getting a computer to take home, but the computer is evil and is going to take over their minds. Mm. And the second one um, actually has Jacqueline Pierce of Serverland. Ah, she's awesome. And that's about a uh, very suspicious archaeological dig that's actually digging up some um, Second World War technology that can end the world. Mm -hmm. And it is it is absolutely wonderful. It, it very much has the feel of survival. Um, the doc, oh, the yeah. Doctor Who serial work is very kind of suburban, mm -hmm. and um, the, the I'm going to call them the companions now. The companions Thomas and Reed. <laughs> uh, Reed is instantly Kate Winslet in her very first role, and wow. yeah, and um, essentially that 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 show is is kind of Doctor Who, it's it's what Doctor Who might have been like if Russell T. Davis had taken over in 91 instead of 2005, <laughs> because it has that absolute feel where, I mean, Marcy is very Doctorish. Um, yeah. she, she is always exactly the same amount of time late, for example, and she carries, mm -hmm. she, she carries everywhere a backpack with a paddle in it, a canoe panel, paddle. Mm -hmm. right. And at some point in the second serial, someone asks her why, and she says, well, you never know when you're going to get be up the creek without one. <laughs> it has Doctor Who references in. Um, at one point, there is a scene where Rita's... Um, playing with a yo-yo and, and tells another character that she's testing the gravity levels, mm -hmm. uh, which is obviously an arc in space reference. Yeah. And weirdly there's, um, weirdly, there's a Dark Season reference in Doctor Who, or at least the, do uh, the Doctor, at least Russell T. Davis reuses uh, lines. There's a scene um, in both Aliens of London and in Dark Season where someone says, well, where am I going to go? Ipswich. So... <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. And it, 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 it is really, really atmospheric. And it has this character who is incredibly wise beyond her years and incredibly cynical. She's amazingly cynical. And she's also a little girl. And every, everybody in, in Dark Season is dressed up in ridiculous, bright um day glow neon colours, apart from Marcy, mm -hmm. who's wearing a really ugly looking cardigan. 
And <laughs> it's generally just, just stands out a mile. And it's one of uh, my favourite character as an adult watching it is, is the teacher, Miss Maitland. She is, hmm. she is very middle-aged and she wants to believe, but it's just too much for her. And she's very exasperated. And, and she and Marcy's conversations are just wonderful. I really, really mm-hmm. recommend it. It's on DVD. It is, it is really worth it. I think my friend's out. got a copy of that. I might have to ask him very nicely for a lend of it. it it's great. I, I also recommend the novelisation. It gives you a very different view of things. You get to see inside Marcy's head uh, in the way that you never get to see inside the Doctor's head in the yeah. New Adventures. Um, it's always from the outside. In this, you see from inside mm-hmm. Marcy's head and she just goes on intuition. She doesn't know anything. She just has really good intuition and she knows how to bluff. And I really, really appreciate that that point of view. A good friend of mine gave me the book as a as a present. And I was I, I did get an extremely large amount of pleasure out of it. Um which was nice. So I really recommend that. It does have its flaws. Um children's TV budget. The main one is that in the second story. There is a plot line where all the char- all the all the guest characters are supposed to have blonde hair, and rather mm. than employ blonde extras, they just put some incredibly bad-looking blonde wigs on a bunch of oh, no. extras. And, and no no one says, "Why is everyone wearing terrible blonde wigs?" But you just have to decide that. Did they borrow them from Megloth? <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, I, I get around it by just thinking that um, Jacqueline Pierce's character in his Pendragon mm-hmm. is just bonkers. And um, <laughs> she's so kind of manic and delusional that she just doesn't notice that everybody who showed up is wearing a terrible wig. Because, <laughs> because there's plenty of other things where she's manipulated by people because of her kind of her bigotry and her uh, and her obsession that she can't see the obvious. So mm. I just kind of tell myself, oh, everybody there is like, well, she's having wigs, <laughs> we'll get the job. <laughs> no, no. Now, we can't mention Jacqueline Pierce without also mentioning, we talk about reboots. Uh, there's news of a, a US remake of Blake 7 yes. on the horizon. Yes, there is. And um, mm. I, uh, it was uh, a few days ago, it was my uh, fifth anniversary of my first tweet on Twitter and to mark it, I spent the entire day faking a, a, a day's worth of tweets based on the first 15 days on 15 or 16 days on Twitter. And in the midst of that was me being very excited that they just announced that Sky were remaking Blade 7. And uh, yeah, I looked it up and five years ago this month, five years ago from the announcement, practically to the day that, the, that there's mm-hmm. this US remake. There was this British remake announced. And five years to the month before that, there was a miniseries announced in 2003, which was um, mm-hmm. very blatantly trying to cash in on the Battlestar Galactica miniseries at the time. Yeah. So, But I, I, I know that this Blake 7 has got as far as having announced direction and casting and so forth, mm-hmm. so it's probably going to get a lot better than that Sky One attempt. Hopefully. Yeah, but yes, no, I think very if, exciting. I think if anyone apart from the BBC are going to do it, I think if you take it to an American network rather than necessarily someone like Sky, I think it stands more of a chance of uh, getting a decent crack of the whip. Yes, on the other hand, I think that American TV is far more likely to cancel after two or three episodes, whereas British mm, TV would probably there is that danger. You know, it's it's like. Um, British British TV is far more likely to give us thirteen episodes, and even mm-hmm. though no one's watching the last five, they'll just keep keep plodding on because they've made them. 
Whereas American mm-hmm. TV will can things really, really early on or show them as they're making, you know, they're, they're still making mm-hmm. the series and they'll can them with free and can and two different meanings of the word can there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I agree that I think, I think it is going to happen this time and yeah. apparently it's not going to pilot. They're actually making 13 episodes. So that's a good sign. Oh, that's encouraging. But I might be wrong because hmm. I haven't, I haven't fact checked that but that that's my reading from having seen mm-hmm. various things linked i mean going back to what you were saying about the tomorrow people and the fact that the people who like the original series weren't very keen on the the 90s take on it i think for a lot of people certainly of my sort of age you can remember blake seven the first time round. um a lot of the appeal is very much down to the cast that they had People like Jacqueline Pierce. Oh yeah, um, they have to cast and Paul it. Darrow. They have to yeah, cast it amazingly well, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. They've got a quite a, an act to follow, but hopefully it will be worth it. It's it's either whether they whether they completely get rid of. I mean, if if they just go, well, we're going to get rid of these characters and make our own set of characters, that would be dangerous. Mm. But on the other hand, we would be far more likely to perhaps accept them than them do. You know, if they if they had Villa and don't, they don't get Villa right, that would ruin the show for yeah. me. Villa is the show, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. You mm-hmm. have to have Avon right as well, but yeah, it's it, oh, it's it's going to be a hard act to follow. But then I I suppose they could do the whole Battlestar Galactica type of thing and essentially almost ignore the feeling of the original series and do something different that has the same name mm. and the same very very basic premise yeah i mean blake seven the the initial series was quite dark and quite dystopian whereas by the time you get towards the the end of the original run it gets quite campy really doesn't it and very over the top yeah i i i would have to say with blake's uh, blake seven it has the same thing as with the the tomorrow people um Mm -hmm that I, I saw the first episode, the pilot episode of Blake 7, which is just entirely different from anything else yeah. in Blake 7. It's just so, mm. it's just nothing. It's, it's like a really good science fiction play for today. or you know, it's, yeah. it's just really, really bleak and dark, and it's just nothing like any of the rest of it. And I saw mm. that um, when I was really young and loved it. And then yeah. the next episode, I was like, what's this rubbish? And stop watching. It took me years. It took me years. It took me friends talking me into saying, no, you will like it for me to yeah. watch it again and be like, I'm going to treat it as something different from that person. Mm. But for years, I was just like, well, but I, I want a series set, set in that. I want a series set in the dome. I don't want this series. <laughs> yeah. And um, I would be really interested if they did a Blake 7 that kind of looks at, looks at how the society... You know, does that thing that um, Battlestar Galactica did for a while and kind of splits between two views, like what's still going on on Capca, that sort of thing. I would, I would actually like to yeah. see you know, what's life like on the Federation. You know, it could be, it could be a really interesting show with really strong themes about living in a kind of dystopian. Um, you know, I, I kind of like to imagine the idea that that Blake Seven universe that out. You know, you never really see what life on on the Federation worlds is like. And maybe mm-hmm. they're actually having a really cushy time of it. And <laughs> and you know, people are getting. Maybe there's like fault crimes, and there's there's, you know, 
lots of oppression going on, but maybe everyone's complicit, that sort of thing. That would that would really interest me if they could do something interesting like that, kind of make it more, I don't know, this this probably annoy everybody else, but it's the sort of thing I think about. I'm always watching going, yeah, but what's happening back home? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've always, Blake 7, all of this sort of thing. Um, when I was about 15 or 16, I got, my family finally got Sky TV. Mm-hmm. And so we had we had um, UK Gold and I could watch yeah. all these old shows. And the main mm-hmm. one, obviously I was watching Doctor Who. Um, yeah. And we haven't really talked about Doctor Who. I was, you know, I was always obsessed with Doctor Who. I was obsessed with Doctor Who for as long as I can remember. But but actually, what I can, the long, my oldest memories are being obsessed with the Target novelizations. Yeah. As soon as I was old enough to, perhaps before that, um, I do have memories of my mum refusing to have anything to do with any more books with Terence Dix's name on the front, <laughs> saying disparaging things about his writing abilities. I'm sure it wasn't his early work. I'm sure it was his <laughs> later ones where he was churning out several books a month. But um, yeah. no, I... I would, any time I would go to a library, I would have to read all the Doctor Who novelizations, all the Target books before I was, I would let myself read anything else. So mm-hmm. I, I have so many friends, science fiction friend, fan friends who have this wonderful, this wonderful childhood, uh, rich childhood, pre-internet childhood where they read all this amazing classic Arthur C. Clarke mm-hmm. and Asimov and everything. I, mm-hmm. I... You know, I read Malcolm Polk and Terence Sticks, which is just, they're very good, but not quite. They are. I mean, that's, I grew up on that. And uh, one of the, the big influences on me to learn to read was being able to pick up a Target book. And because at that young age, Tom Baker was in the role when I was, oh, what I've been about six or so, mm-hmm. uh, when I really started to get into it. And he was the doctor then. And uh, of course, you had all these fantastic books that you could discover. And then the realization that you had all these guys that had been before, and that was mind blowing at first. And you, of course, you want to go back and find out what they were like. And um, certainly with the earlier Target novels, not perhaps so much later down the line, they always tended to add an extra level of detail to the story that they perhaps couldn't afford to do on the TV. Yeah. Whereas perhaps some of the later ones ended up being effectively, you know, the script mm-hmm. put down in book form. Yeah, no, I, I have very, I, my, my earliest Doctor Who memories are all book memories. And mm. the, the, first, the first one that I read where I just had no clue, you know, my memories of the space, the space Museum are mixed up with all this stuff, me wondering who on earth these people were and where, <laughs> yeah. which Doctor is this? Where does this fall? I really didn't know. And I have that. Me- yeah. you know, the first Doctor is on the cover. I've checked. So mm-hmm. I must not have known enough to be able to recognise the first Doctor from a picture. Uh, yeah. It does look more like Richard Handel for some reason, but <laughs> he is on the cover. And um, no, it, it, I... Oh, interestingly, what really excited me, other than the multi-doctor stories, like the cover, that that kind of silver embossed raised cover, I think, if I'm remembering mm. it right, of the um, uh, of the five doctors. I remember yeah, when that, that first one. came into the library, and I was just mm. like, this was the most exciting thing ever. And um, yeah, certain covers, the cover of 
Um, Those Chris Achilleos covers were pretty stunning. Oh, yes. The Chris Achilleos covers were stunning, but I think it was probably made... I have no idea who did these, really, but it was probably... Mm. Um, Andrew Skeletor probably did these because they're so they're so kind of photorealistic that you didn't mm-hmm. don't realise that it's an illustration perhaps. But um, yeah. the covers of Megalos and Timelash, which you know neither mm-hmm. of them are particularly brilliant stories, but they are particularly <laughs> brilliant covers. They are that that kind of thing where all the flaws in in the Megalos, Tom Baker playing Megalos turning into the Doctor, all reverting. Mm-hmm. You know, that looks amazing as an illustration. Yeah. They don't, you know, you can't see the edges of the rubber on his hands. It, 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 <laughs> it is just wonderful. And Time Lash, you know, when I finally saw Time Lash and saw what the Borad looked like, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't what, you know, Time Lash's cover was one of the most horrifically fascinating things to me as a child. I, I must have spent quite a long time staring at that kind of half, half um, man, half um Wow, you know, now I've seen it as an adult, kind of very, it's a, they're entirely neck, aren't they? They didn't make the rest yeah. of the body. And, and <laughs> you're thinking, okay, are we supposed to, are we supposed to think, I think they're probably related to Prisoner Zero, same sort of species, entirely neck, mm. yeah, it's that type of worm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I, I mean, I, I used to, Every time I'd visit relatives, I would talk them into taking me to their local library so I could see if they had mm-hmm. any novelizations that I hadn't read yet. Uh, the same with school libraries. Um, it would very, you know, I, there's so many books that I now treasure from my childhood that I genuinely did only read because I'd run out of novelize- target novelizations. And I was like, oh, I suppose I better look and see if any of these other books are any good. Then. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm one of those people that had all, well, not all, but a lot of the target books and then reached a certain age and thought, well, I'm not going to read those again and and move them on. And now oh. I kind of wish I did have them. Yeah. Well, I I have all my target books that I bought still here, but I've only got about mm-hmm. five because I, I was um, an obsessive library user. I didn't have, I didn't have many to buy books. So, mm-hmm. and um, yes, well, you know, Doctor Who ended and I was 10 when the series was mm-hmm. cancelled. And, You're making me feel really old now. Yeah, that. sorry. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was obsessed with Doctor Who. I loved reading books and I did mm-hmm. buy the new adventures and I managed to get through about four of them before they got so adult and disturbing mm. that I was like, yeah, I don't think they want me to be a fan of Doctor Who anymore. This isn't for me anymore. Which, it's a different audience altogether. Really, yeah, and that, I, I think they worked on the assumption that no kids were, were watching uh, because... Mm. I, I don't know, because they certainly weren't writing those books for... No. <laughs> I, you know, is it, is it, it's one of the Cat's Cradle books that, that made me, me stop, and it is very, mm. it's very adult. It's very, it's very, very adult. I don't think I got as far as Warlock, but I've read that since. Mm. I could, I'm, I'm quite glad I didn't get to that when I was 12. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons I like uh, uh, Sean and Eric's shows, that they get to read them for me yeah i just get to hear them talk about it and that's for me it's just as entertaining absolutely and i love it when they do ones i have read and yeah. get their perspective on it and i won't have read them since you know when they came out and mm-hmm. it's kind of a nice kind of aid memoir and but i, I if anything my favorite episodes are ones that i where i haven't read the book and i never intend mm-hmm. to read the book but i still feel like i have read the book because someone's yeah. explained it to me 
uh, which uh, maybe if they heard that would slightly horrify them, but they'll review a book and say it's a brilliant book and we should all read it. And I'm going, no, nah, I've, I've had enough now. It sounds brilliant. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> My attention span is terrible, so um, I'm just about not quite a third of the way through the Richard Marsden book about J&T at the mm. moment. Um, which is quite interesting. It's not the hatchet job that a lot of people seem to think it is, or well, at least what I've read so far isn't anyway. Certainly not the impression you'd get from the cover of the mirror. No, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> I think that ruffled a few feathers. I, I, yeah, I, I don't blame them. Actually, that's reminded me of... Um, I was um, sitting down trying to remember when I must have started watching Doctor Who on TV, because I know mm-hmm. we probably talk about this, and I thought my earliest memory of Doctor Who... Um, now I know that I know that the fifth Doctor was on TV when I was reading the books originally, mm-hmm. but because when the new ones would come in, they were all fifth Doctor. But um, yeah. and I, you know, I had a I had one of those um, tins of sweets that also was a, a Tardis um, money box as a child, and that that had um, Peter Davison on one side. But um, yeah, literally, yes, <laughs> and um, yeah, good, good. Could uh, always keep money in the end, and um, but I definitely wasn't being allowed to watch it up to that point, or I didn't have the. It might have even just been on too late. It would have been on mm-hmm. in the EastEnders slot, wouldn't it? Yeah, because they moved it to weeknights as well. Mm, they, which... Yeah, but no. When I when I um, my first very vivid memories, or what for years I've been telling people is my first memory of Doctor Who mm-hmm. is um, the first episode of Revelation of the Daleks. Oh, wow. uh, it's all these that's a dark story if it's your first memory well all i remember quite young watching yeah all i well i must have been um seven or eight and yeah. um probably eight I, i'd have to check what month it was but um no i i remember perry and the doctor not noticing that there was a dalek behind them because it has that whole ridiculous thing where they're just walking around not being part of the story yeah. and they keep missing stuff going on behind them. <laughs> and I remember like being really scared that the Dalek was over their shoulder. Mm. And um, I also remember the very vivid and iconic and absolutely nonsensical image of the giant gravestone of the Doctor's face that then falls <laughs> on him. That was made of styrofoam. Yeah, where, as a small child, that was the most amazing thing. It was. Yeah. It didn't make sense, but it it was incredibly evocative. The thought mm. of finding your own tombstone and then it kills you was, mm. you know, that that really worked <laughs> for me as a small child. I'm not sure yeah. if I watched the next episode because I I remember my memory of seeing the transparent Dalek. Yeah, that was freaky. I only remember that. Um, I I only really remember that from UK Gold. I'm pretty sure I was watching mm. that on a Sunday morning. Um, mm. So I so I I think I probably watched the first episode and then was then we missed the next one or we weren't mm-hmm. allowed to watch it. We didn't have a video for years, so who knows? Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I looked and then I was thinking what my other most vivid memories early early childhood memories of freaky freaky dog two stuff and it, mm-hmm. you reminded me of this when you said ruffle ruffle people's feathers because it was perry being turned into a bird oh and for some reason i thought that was trial of a time lord but it's vengeance on virus isn't it it is yeah. and that's the episode before so that must be my first dog two me- my first doctor who memory i mean eric saywood his 
time in charge of the sort of the stories on that show, it got very dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching that. I would have been about 12 watching that, and it still was pretty creepy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, watching that as a young kid, I think that would yeah seriously give you nightmares. It, it was. And, you know, my, my parents are both very enthusiastic ornithologists. They're bird watchers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, this idea of being turned into a bird was, I I think, pretty pretty scary for me and something something that I ended up thinking about a lot and getting reminded of a lot um so yeah so that's that would be my earliest tv memory of Doctor Who rather than rather than a a memory of um having watched it uh so having read it in books and having seen covers in libraries you know I, I I my earliest memories are actually wandering out of the children's section you know the children's mm-hmm. book section of the library so I must have been like five or six and into into the um adult section of the library and finding the covers of the Doctor Who books and wanting to read them and so mm-hmm. yeah and quite often they're fragments of memories yeah. aren't they they don't always make sense have, when you sort of remember them later down the line until you see them in context yeah absolutely I do have very vivid memories of that that library it was a very strange kind of hexagonally shaped library very kind of odd architecture and for years as a child I thought that was just what libraries were like I was very confused mm. by most of them were just ordinary buildings but with books in <laughs> that didn't make sense to me <laughs> um, and um, yeah I think the first episode that I definitely watched all the way through I don't think we watched Trial of a Time Lord I think we started to every time I mention mm-hmm. Colin Baker my mum will have a rant about how terrible <laughs> he was and how awful that stuff with the trial was and how she just mm. couldn't watch it so I think she must have sat watching it with me and then turned it off in disgust at how bad it was. You know, I, you know, I, I do enjoy Child of a Time Lord. I, you know, I, mm. I can watch anything. <laughs> but, you know, and there is a lot to like in it, but it is a bit trying and almost all the, almost all the cliffhangers are, are Colin Baker pulling a horrified face of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how many horrified faces can Colin Baker pull? We'll find out. <laughs> uh, so, Yeah. Well, for, for me, um, I mean, I, the, the Doctor and Ace um, were my, that was my Doctor and Companion. I, that was mm-hmm. when I was watching TV and I was watching every episode. Um, mm-hmm. I think I probably saw some of Dragonfire, I'm not sure, but I definitely yeah. saw the first episode of Remembrance and I definitely insisted and nagged and was awful to get to watch all the episodes of Remembrance. <laughs> And, yeah, I was obsessed with Doctor Who, basically, by that point. I was, mm-hmm. you know, getting getting the books and, and all, the, all of that. And, um, yeah, then it got cancelled, which was unfortunate. And um, I remember being very upset when I found out it wasn't going to come back. You know, I'd have been, you know, 11, going, well, where's Doctor Who? Mm-hmm. And um, didn't have the internet. You're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when the new adventures came out, it was kind of a right. Well, that's it then, isn't it? If it's if it's books mm. now, they're not making any more, are they? Mm. And um, I don't know when did they start? About ninety three. Yeah, about then I think. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I. But by the time I was a couple of years after that, when we finally got UK Gold, I. Mm. Yeah, and they had an entire Doctor Who serial um, with with the 
with the, the uh, cliffhangers in, thankfully, uh, yeah. every Sunday morning they had a whole one mm-hmm. in full. That's right. And um, and they'd probably have an episode of Blake 7 or maybe the Tomorrow People beforehand. So mm-hmm. I was, or maybe those were on the evening, but I was getting to watch all of this old Doctor Who, all these ones that I knew from having having read the Target novelizations and lots of ones I didn't mm-hmm. know because of that. And um, that was wonderful but also because I because I had been obsessed with Doctor Who for so long I mean part of the reason why I was obsessed is because it had all this history because Mm -hmm. it wasn't just the the show as it is now there were you know something that all my life I've been kind of obsessive about is things that change that stay the same but change yeah Uh, you know I I can I can sit down and very happily read a a very long, detailed thing about how a TV show's sets changed over over how many, however many series. You know, I can get mm-hmm. a great deal of pleasure out, out of that sort of thing. And thanks to living in this wonderful modern world with wikis, you can find no shortage of... There's a wiki for everything. Yeah. There's a huge, detailed wiki for everything. So you can sit down and, and indulge. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when Red Dwarf was coming back recently, I sat down and, uh, on the... Um, one of the Red Dwarf fan sites and read a, a, a huge long series of analysis of how each of the costumes changed over every single mm-hmm. series, how the sets changed, how Crichton's face and body changed bit by bit, what each of the small mm-hmm. changes were. I love that. So and I always I had... hadn't seen that series for years and years and I did watch the um the last one that came out and I really enjoyed Ooh, it. It was a return it was definitely a return to form. And mm-hmm. I, I'm one of the few people that did like series eight. Um mm-hmm. The the feature length opening would kind of put people off, but I, I thought it was very trad. It did kind of go back to the roots of having them. It, you know, they were in a prison cell rather than mm. in in their their quarters. But uh, yeah. but I like series eight. But I know I'm uh, it's a minority opinion. <laughs> but, I'm old enough to have watched the first series when it went out and kind of. Enjoyed it up until about series three, and then my interest kind of tailed off. I think I must and, uh, have started watching series three or series four. Uh, what series mm-hmm. is backwards in? Oh, blimey! Is that series three? Now you're asking. It's around that it time. Is, I think it's one of the very. I think it's the early. It's one of the early ones. I think Crichton's head's very narrow, and mm. looks very solid. Um, yeah, it was a totally different actor at first. It isn't is. There? Yeah, no, it's. I think it's. I think it's three. It might be four. That backwards was the first episode I saw. And I, so I, I was pretty obsessed from then on. So I'd have been sort of 12 or 13, maybe 14, and kind of watched all the way up until I got to university. And Is that the one where Hitler's revered as a hero because he brought millions of people back to yeah, life? that's the one. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> and, um, no, I, I, I did end up really loving Red Dwarf and... Mm. Um, when they started releasing them on VHS, um, we got series one. And um, both my brother and I kind of obsessively watched series one over and over again and will mm-hmm. regularly quote it randomly without anyone realising we're doing so. <laughs> so it, it's that sort of thing. I have to say, my, my favourite version of Red Dwarf is the novels. If you, they yeah. are, they are wonderful. They are proper, they're proper science fiction, but funny. They're very thoughtful... Um, they're just really good. Uh, I remember having, I think I had the first couple of novels and I really enjoyed them. 
I'm a, a bit of a fan of Douglas Adams, so it definitely falls into that yeah, kind of category for me. Very much so. And um, I would say it's worth, um, maybe not Last Human, although I like Last Human, but Backwards, mm. the, the novel, um, Rob Grant's follow-up to the, uh, the second novel is, because they, mm. they individually did their own follow-ups. Um, yeah. Rob Grant's is certainly very, very worth reading. And um, mm. I'd, I'd say Last Human is worth reading as well. It's just kind of, it is, it's, they're both hard sci-fi. I just find backwards, making the the concept of backwards, extending that to fill an entire novel is really wonderful. And to get to kind of see from inside Lister's head, him going through puberty backwards and all that sort of thing. uh, It is, and it is done in a very, you know, like back to reality in in the the second book is is done wonderfully. Mm -hmm. It's done very much in that vein. So I, yeah. I do, I do heartily recommend the uh, all the Red Dwarf novels. That um, yeah, if if you only read three, then skip Last Human. <laughs> so you've obviously sounds like you spent a lot of time watching lots of kids sci-fi shows in preparation for this. I always throw this at our guests when they come onto the show. Is there anything that you'd like to recommend to the listeners that you've been enjoying recently? Uh, mm. Could be books or TV or music, anything really. Well, I interestingly, I'm actually really, really into um, elementary at the moment, which ah, I, yeah. you know, when that first was announced, I was very sceptical because, mm-hmm. because it just seemed like a cynical take on Sherlock um, yeah. for an American audience. It's just absolutely nothing like Sherlock at all. It's an entirely its own series. And yeah. the Lucy Liu playing um, female Joan Watson is mm-hmm. she's absolutely wonderful the character developments of her character come coming from someone who's who's a she she's a a doctor who's lost a job become a, a sober companion for drug addicts because of um mm-hmm. because one of her um former well one of one of her friends was um basically had some misfortune due to drugs and um essentially she kind of blossoms into becoming becoming a detective herself so she and Holmes Mm -hmm. are gradually kind of becoming equals and it's it's really not it's it's it it is Sherlock Holmes in a lot of respects but it doesn't really feel like Sherlock Holmes because of the setting and the fact that it's very much more not always but very often it's it's more like a police procedural where where Sherlock Holmes is showing up um it's more about Jane Watson's development and the earlier episodes are kind of like um it's it's almost like a a remake of of Mr Monk but but with um someone Mm. with Asperger's rather than OCD yeah um so which which so it's kind of like Sherlock Holmes Asperger wish wish fulfillment detective you get to (laughs) be be rude and weird and do all your stims and and get away with it because you're brilliant that sort of thing so um so yes definitely elementary um Mm -hmm. community I haven't seen series four and I know that Dan Harmon's no longer involved and it is very much Dan Harmon's baby but mm-hmm. I very very much like Community and Hartley Hartley my wife's a big it. fan it it's um the the fact that I I am someone who very much sees the world in terms of tv tropes in terms of genre 
and mm-hmm. um, so I really relate and love the fact that they have the the kind of concept of, of Abed being obsessed with TV mm-hmm. and being obsessed with film and being obsessed with genre and therefore he can he does constantly say things it's it, it, for people that don't know it's a comedy set in a community college mm-hmm. um, but it, it just lampoons and wonderfully so many different genres it does um just space episode and it lampoons um all the all the different space films wonderfully you know it's the the right stuff they've got a great cast as well and they have a wonderful cast and it it is just brilliantly brilliantly written again i can't really speak for series four because i haven't seen it Mm. um i've heard mixed things i've heard that it that series that episode eight was good maybe so (laughs) it's i've only seen the first series and my wife's seen the second series as well so i've got a bit of catching up to do on it that is one. wonderful i mean this is a show um they they did a christmas episode that is a fully animated style christmas mm, episode yes. and the the concept is that abed has had some form of psychotic break and is seeing the world as if it's an animated <laughs> episode and no one else everyone else just sees him running around acting crazy telling them that they're puppets <laughs> Um, and there is a later episode where we flash back and see it from everyone else's perspective as well. So right. it, it is just really wonderfully done. They, they they do genre brilliantly. They had a zombie episode. They had a paintball mm. episode that was uh, it's kind of half zombie half zombie film, half um, paintball. Basically, there's a mm. there's a a, pri- a paintball competition, and the prize announced is so good that everybody essentially is kind of locked into some sort of Hunger Games style thing where they have to <laughs> be the, only, the last person standing. And it's, um, and then they do it, then they do it again at the end of series two, but even in, but as two part extravaganza that ends up being a kind of cowboy pastiche. So mm-hmm. it, it is, it is really, really amazing stuff. I do heartily, heartily recommend it. I know it is very, very cool to kind of relate so strongly to to a character as uh, as I do to, to Abed's view of the world in that, which is mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, I also um, am incredibly sad that Alphas has been cancelled because mm, that's not what I'm familiar with. I it, it's um, Sci-Fi Channel original production. It ran mm-hmm. for two, two series, uh, uh, thirteen episodes each. And the concept is somewhat similar to Heroes, but they are, um, the idea is that every, their alpha abilities, their psionic abilities, you can spot my, it's kind of like the Tomorrow People, shock horror, I mm-hmm. like it. And, <laughs> and there, is a, there is an ongoing thing where I will watch any show that's even slightly like Tomorrow People, even if I don't like the show. I watched True, Bro- <laughs> True Blood, the vampire, the, the sexy right. vampires show. Uh-huh. Um, which is not really my thing at all, but I watched um, two series of that because one of the characters could read minds and therefore mm-hmm. I was incredibly interested in it. She turned out to be a fairy. I stopped watching. And, <laughs> but I will, I will sit through lots of stuff that I'm not interested in at all to, to, to get the, the one character. Interestingly, um, there, there's another kids TV show, Woof, which is the based on the Alan Alberg book, uh, the boy mm-hmm. who turns into a dog. Uh, also quite yeah. similar to the Disney Shaggy Dog Story films, mm-hmm. um, and 
yeah, I was very into that that aspect of True Blood as well, that one of the characters turns into a dog. I was just like, oh, <laughs> I, I'm just watching it because it's like somebody's doing things that I really, really love in children's TV, but in an adult show with lots of sex, which I'm just ignoring. I'm just sitting there going, oh, I want this sex be over. I want someone to turn into a dog and or be angsty about having grown up with psionic abilities and no one understanding them. That's what I want. I, I watch I will watch anything that has um, that has interesting kid characters. My problem is I watch shows I watch films like um, um, which which one of the um, I'm going to get the name wrong now. Where's Anderson films? Is it where it starts off where you're getting all the characters is what they were like as children, and then it Ooh. I can't remember which is it the Royal Tannenbaums mm. maybe. And I must admit, I haven't seen too many of his films. I was watching that and I was like, oh, and then they all grow up. And I was like, I really want to watch that film. I don't want to watch <laughs> yeah. them as adults. They're all obnoxious as adults, but they were awesome as kids. Um, it's like, have you seen the, the TV version of um, Stephen King's It? Um, yes. A long, long time ago. Because that kind ago. of goes effectively as like two feature length episodes. So the first one is them as kids in the... 50s and then you go to the yeah the modern day and the second one and i wanted to go back to the the first you know, episode i think i, really I, I genuinely that think that i stopped watching halfway through the second episode because i wasn't interested <laughs> them, in them as adults which is terrible but, um, <laughs> but yeah no um amelie as well is one of my favorite films but i would oh, love i would love to have an inside film with amelie as a child because that, that those introductory scenes are wonderful as well have you seen um, there's a film by the same director called Mick Max? I haven't. I, it is on my list. I did just watch one of his other films, which I'm now going to mm. forget the name of because I'm terrible at names, which is about a it's kind of like a, a, a female um, steampunk equivalent of Indiana mm. Jones. It, it's set okay. in Paris with a um, mystically reanimated um, pterodactyl on the loose. And it's just incredibly... <laughs> wonderfully like i fun. think it is luke best one i'm not sure i think it is so mm. so the, yes um but i can't remember the name at all it's called something like the magnificent adventures of somebody or other much like mm-hmm. amelie's called that but the english title yeah. is just amelie um oh, i love everything about amelie the direction the acting i love amelie, the music. I love amelie and Brilliant. i love um pushing daisies which is very much ripped off amelie i have not seen that. oh you should it's wonderful mm. absolutely wonderful the concepts of that is that um uh who's who's the oh who's a, who's the creator of that he's he's now doing um hannibal um oh. brian fuller i'm not sure brian mm. brian something mm-hmm. i might be mixing him up with the one who did x-men um no that's brian singer, that's brian singer. Brian, i think it's brian fuller i'm probably wrong mm-hmm. and um he also did dead like me and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. The concept of, of Pushing Daisies is that, again, it starts off with the characters as children. Um, mm. There is this um, small child who's, who has the magical ability to um, bring anything back from the dead with one touch. Mm-hmm. But if he touches it again, it dies for good. And he discovers this when um, his mother dies in front of him. And he brings her back to life and then accidentally kills her again, traumatising himself for life. <laughs> it's it's um, this incredibly dark show, incredibly mm. dark, constantly about death and awful, awful things. But it's like a cartoon. 
It's like Amelie, but even more so. It's hyper real, right. absolutely heightened reality. Beautiful. It's all about pies. He grows up to make mm. pies. And he does it very cheaply because he gets rotten fruit and brings it all back to life and bakes it into the pies. <laughs> and it is just the most wonderful, um, whimsical programme. It's on DVD. It's utterly, utterly, it stars Anna Frill. And I'm going to forget everyone else's name because I'm terrible at names. Mm. And that is a wonderful show. So, so that's what I'm going to recommend, that you get that on DVD. He also did, mm. um, he did a pilot episode that came out at Halloween uh, reimagining the monsters, and ah, it was yeah. called something. Wasn't Eddie Izzard in that? Yes, Eddie Izzard was in that's grandpa. Yeah, that was wonderful. That had um, an amazing child actor um, playing Eddie, the werewolf mm. child. And I, I watched that single episode. I knew that it wasn't going to be made into a series, and I kind of sat there and mm-hmm. kind of mourned the fact that I would never see more because it was so wonderful. Because I loved the monsters as a child. I, I mm-hmm. didn't really like the Adams family. I like the monsters. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And it's not. It, it's very much a reimagining. It's very, very different feel. They kind of pass mm-hmm. much better as being human. You know, like um, Herman isn't green, and the, mm-hmm. you know all that aspect. It's very much like the monsters meets pushing daisies. Really whimsical and wonderful. Right. But unfortunately, it was not meant to be. And he's gone on to make Hannibal mm. instead, which has now had mm. two episodes in America. It's starting on Sky Living in the UK in the middle of May. Mm-hmm. And right. um, that actually has... Um, oh, I should know this because I just tweeted this, this this afternoon. Hugh Dancy, who plays Adam in the wonderful... Uh, Asperger syndrome, romantic comedy. If it's not clear, I have Asperger syndrome. That's why I'm obsessively out talking about Asperger syndrome things. Uh, <laughs> Asperger's romantic comedy, Adam, that came out a few years ago. He has been cast right. as um, I'm terrible at names. Will Graham, the character that um, Ed Norton plays in the remake of Yes, Manhattan. that's right. Yeah. yeah, the investigator. Yeah, the investigator. And Brian Fuller has made him have Asperger's in that as well. Mm. And I, I am kind of not really very happy with that idea i haven't seen it so i can't comment but i i'm not mm. a big fan of um of uh simon baron cohen uh he's got this theory that asperger's is is um a difficulty with empathy but it's this the sort of opposite it's the exact opposite of being a psychopath there's two types of empathy in his opinion uh which i mm. don't agree with at all that there, there's these two mm. types of empathy one is um effective empathy so if you understand it it hurts and but and the other's cognitive empathy where you can understand it but you don't Mm. feel it so most people supposedly have both cognitive empathy and effective empathy so they can understand how someone feels and they feel bad because of it Um, Mm. the idea is that psychopaths have no effective empathy and loads of cognitive empathy so they mass they absolutely understand and therefore can manipulate other people uh, mm. Whereas people with Asperger's, as far as Simon Baron Cohen is concerned, he has a lot of other theories I don't agree with. Also, have um, have a problem with cognitive empathy, but um, don't have any problem with with understanding right and wrong or feeling. You know, if they understand that someone's upset, then they will be mm. upset. But but that's his theory. You can write what I know about. Asperger's and autism on the back of a very small stamp but the very little I do know is that each person you can encounter 
although they may be on the spectrum as it's referred yeah. to they can exhibit different signs and different issues each one person is completely different from the next yeah so you can't use a blanket term to describe someone with that sort of condition no i it's a it's a spectrum condition and mm. everybody because being a spectrum condition it's kind of like um rather than it being a a scale, a continuum. It's more like something like a, a colour wheel. You know how if you mm. open Photoshop and select a colour, you've got all these different sliders. And, yeah. you know, you've got something like... I used to be in the print trade, so I know about Pantone. Oh, yeah. So, so you know, you could, you could look at it from all sorts of different scales and say, OK, mm. so this person has, you know, one of the major things that people on the spectrum have are sensory differences and they can be an undersensitivity and an oversensitivity of on mm. any sense. It's almost it's almost always an extreme on at least one one sense, but it can be an undersensitivity or an oversensitivity. So just that that mm. alone, just each of the you know each of the ace or however many senses that we have, you take each of those mm. and set them to various different extremes. Put that together, and that's going to be a different color for everyone on the spectrum. So some people. Yeah have virtually no sense of smell some people have massively sensitive sense of smell some mm. people's hearing is incredibly sensitive and tune into background noise and find it incredibly difficult to filter out background noise and other people mm. talking you know don't get the cocktail party effect so you sat in a restaurant yeah. and you just can't hear what everyone else is over everyone else mm. or you're having to multitask really really hard and you're listening to you're listening to the um the music that's going on and you're you're just aware of everything there's no filtering and there's there's yeah. all but that's it, it varies you know some people have extreme sensitivities to texture so have mm -hmm. to wear well i think i've probably fallen into this myself but have to wear the same cuts mm -hmm. of clothes regularly and have to not have any um itchy labels in their clothing or or maybe I mean, for me I'm usually okay if I get stressed out then that really really bothers me so I have to mm. make sure I don't have those labels in my clothing in advance and yeah. you know I but everybody is different and it is it's not just sensory stuff it can be style of thinking some autistic people are very very visual or think very much in patterns and some are very mm. verbal i'm very very verbal i could also qualify for non-verbal learning disability in that mm. my verbal abilities are you know that my verbal abilities fall um around 135 in the iq scale whereas mm. some of my and you kind of stretch everything out into into a kind of cognitive profile of different abilities and yeah. things like memory, my memory is very fragile, my working memory, so my short-term memory, mm -hmm. if I'm doing something and get distracted, it goes. Mm -hmm. And I tend to go off on really long tangents as a result and mm. have to use... Yeah, I kind of tend to do that yeah. too, but... <laughs> yeah, but by, by no means. I mean, any, all of it is... Um, all, every, every part of it does fall into what, what we consider normal, especially if you're in fandom. Mm -hmm. Uh, things that are absolutely pathologized in in um, if you're say trying to diagnose someone as being on the autistic spectrum, mm -hmm. you would you would say, oh, you're obsessed with children's television. In fact, my Asperger report, I was diagnosed about eight months ago, 
And really? yeah, quite recently. Now I have been, I have been very aware that I bit that I'm different and that I felt like I was kind of faking to to fit in, basically my entire life. And interestingly, my first awareness that I was different was when I was thirteen. Um, starting well, no, I was very aware when I was starting secondary school but when I was 12 starting the second year and just turning 13 I was Mm -hmm. getting really really aware that I wasn't going to that I wasn't gonna you know I thought oh maybe I'm just developing slowly and then I was just like no everyone else is developing even more now and I'm not following them Mm -hmm. and you know I felt incredibly conspicuously different um at that point in my life and knew that, and very much felt like I wanted to be like everyone else and was trying to be like everyone else, but knew that I couldn't and knew that it would never work. And I think that that was one of the reasons why I, I kind of fell in love with the Tomorrow People when I first watched it, because one, they they have this connection. They inherently understand each other. They're different. Yeah. They're different and mm-hmm. they can't explain it, but there is this inherent difference. They, that they have, that they understand each other and can talk to each other effortlessly and and are nice to each other because they just inherently understand each other's feelings. That really appealed to me, of course. And then on mm. top of that, they have this um, this prime barrier they can't kill. So they and they all they always introduce it with the character with the characters going, yeah, of course I could kill if I wanted to. And then they'll get they'll try to and they can't and they'll realise that no yeah. that, that they that they can't do it and that they are different. And that that was something I really related to. And um, yeah, when I when I most recently rewatched it, it was quite painfully embarrassing almost to realise that <laughs> there are lines in there that are just so that I you know to a to a lonely thirteen year old who who has undiagnosed autistic um, traits mm. and doesn't know what's going on. It spoke to you. Well, there's a there's a line in the first episode. Well, there's a couple of like, there's a conversation that goes on through the first episode, which I can quote verbatim. Uh, from memory and and it, and it is like when I when I watched it and realized I was just like oh dear oh dear but it, it, <laughs> the characters say and um, <clears throat> every kid in the world could be a tomorrow peak person maybe it's the ones that feel different feel like we don't fit in they're not though they're just like us oh dear <laughs> and um yeah so I think that's a great a great there's a, a great deal of um, reasoning there, what was going on. So that show came along at just the right exactly time Exactly the right really. time for me yeah. when I was... I mean, I was also an incredibly, incredibly cynical child who questioned everything and saw flaws in everything and mm. always noticed when things didn't make more logical sense. And I was always really worried by things that didn't work or, or, or had weird philosophical questions about things. Like I would be a very small child asking why Goofy was a dog and Pluto was a dog and what did that mean <laughs> and what was wrong with what was wrong with Pluto if he could Do you think talk? it's better now for kids of that sort of age as we are now? Um, do you think there's more in place now to help kids a- who've Absolutely. Got... Uh, even even yeah. more so than five years ago. It, we, mm. we, we are getting to the point where there's so much more understanding now. Absolutely yeah. huge amounts of understanding. There, there are That's got to be a good thing. Yes, there are wonderful resources now. And, and we've moved past the stereotypes because even, mm. even 10 years ago, there was, you know, I, I've read books from 2007 where they are talking about how Asperger's is different from 
different from high-functioning autism, I may quote you can't mm-hmm. see, um, how, how they're two different things and how one's like this and one's like that. And it is just, it's ridiculous stereotypes. It's one coping mechanism. The idea yeah. that the stereotype has always been, um, it's essentially gifted child syndrome. You know, the kid who, who knows yeah. that, they're, that they're more intelligent than everyone else and they're socially useless and they're bullied, but they think, well, I'm superior. Everyone else is stupid. Mm-hmm. And kind of that kind of arrogant coping mechanism, which, you know, I, I'm sure that, that most geeks have been there at some point um, and, and are aware of that sort of thing. Um, that, that's one stereotype. There are so many other ways of coping. There's becoming the class clown. There are, I, you know, I know several um, autistic or Asperger's self-identifying um, stand-up comics who... who Basically, I mean, I very distinctly remember the age where I was, I think I was 10. And I realized mm-hmm. that if I, if I spot, spotted a double meaning in a word, especially if it was like a dirty or sexual or whatever, inappropriate, yeah. and I pointed it out, then rather than everyone not liking me and telling me I always have to be right and all these other things that happened, they mm. would like me. And so people becoming, you know, being a stand-up comic totally makes sense to me. You get to stand on a stage... Yeah. And you have a conversation with everyone else. You're in charge. They're mm-hmm. listening. You've yeah. practiced it and done it a hundred times. You get to be funny. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's rehearsed. I, I I love I love things like doing interviews because there's a you know we decided in advance what the subject would be, mm-hmm. and it's my job to be talking. So <laughs> and and you do it very well. Thank you. <laughs> but um, interestingly, there was very recently a Radio Four program. Um, where they interviewed a Doctor Who fan, um, mm-hmm. an autistic Doctor Who fan, who, who had found out that he'd found out that he had Asperger's, that he was on the autistic spectrum, because he'd read an mm-hmm. article in Doctor Who magazine in about 2000 oh, wow. called The Fan Gene. Uh, it was, mm-hmm. I think it was by Gary Gillitz, and it's kind of discussing yeah. how people with, with um, well, then it would have been Asperger's, but autistic mm-hmm. people essentially tends to have very strong interests and will like one particular thing and it might be that like it and this is again a stereotype the stereotype is train spotting or being a doctor who fan like that is the that is the british stereotype but Mm -hmm. especially now we know um how girls and women and people socialize as female tend to present with asperger's like one of the one of the um new autistic stereotypes is very much mm. kind of geek girl fandom actually the, yeah. the the whole thing of obsessing over one actor and watching every mm-hmm. single show that actor's done every episode of yeah. everything they've guested on and and you know there's that whole kind of sexist thing of going oh they just like him because it's a because it's a sexy man but essentially mm-hmm. that's still incredibly dedicated amazing geeky awesomeness as far as i'm concerned yeah. and basically anything that would be pathologized as a as a trait as a thing that would get Mm -hmm. put in your um in your diagnosis report saying here's conclusive evidence that you're on the spectrum would probably be seen as uh, when it's an interest would probably be seen as awesome you know knowing all the production codes is awesome being able to name every single actor and knowing everything about every extra is awesome um it would absolutely make um the people who diagnose me raise their eyebrows and scribble furiously on their pads but (laughs) but you know ultimately 
it's it's focus it's kind of kind of awesome yeah. and there is a there's very much a view that to, to at least some degree i mean it, it is on it is definitely on a level a disability um in the you know it's it's very difficult to organize yourself it's difficult to still deal with sensory stuff you have to yeah. you basically have to explain to people that you're going to get social stuff wrong and they should be a bit more patient with you and you're going to work really really hard as well and can they meet you halfway and all that sort of thing and uh, and you know you do grow up feeling like an do alien do you think people are, because there's a raised awareness or a better awareness do you think people are, are more accepting and um allowing for the sort of things you're talking about or do you still come across day-to-day issues where people aren't um, aware of, of that problem well, and, uh, while, while we're recording this it is actually um, it's actually Autism Awareness Month or in fact yes. um, Autism Acceptance Month depending on mm-hmm. who you talk to and um, there, there are definitely depending on where you live especially mm. and um, depending on your experience it's just kind of it's in a, in a way it's a disability in another way it's a, di- it's a difference it's it's almost yeah. like there's a very very common experience of um, growing up autistic and not having a diagnosis to to start to think of yourself as something other than other than human almost you know th- it sounds terrible that the I am not human feeling but it's it's so common to to think that you're an alien from the wrong planet that mm-hmm. the most common the, there, there was a book called Oops, Wrong Planet Syndrome, and the most, the, the most popular discussion forum is called Wrong Planets. Um, mm. So that's very common. The, one of the most um, notable autobiographies about autistic experience is called Pretending to be Normal. So it's, it, it's very much feeling that, that you can, you know, as long as what, the major thing that they're, that they're learning nowadays is that it doesn't, associate with an intellectual disability with a learning disability hmm. we we used to think that that it was kind of something that went with a learning disability something that went with not being able to speak that's now seen as being about 20 to 25 percent of people on the spectrum and it's hmm. very likely that's going to reduce and possibly end up being not ve- not not that much more than in the average population um, yeah. having autistic having autistic traits being on the autistic spectrum will make learning difficulties have more of an impact because essentially you're having to pass you're having to pretend you're having to act mm. all the time or you're giving up and being a massive geek um, <laughs> or or a, a punk or a goth mm-hmm. or something that just kind of lets you off the hook and allows you to just be yeah. a weirdo um but no, it is this experience of constantly feeling like that. I've read loads of books and videos and all sorts about this. And there is a, a standard thing explaining it as being like like being from a different culture, but in the culture mm-hmm. you grew up in. So you, yeah. you are always translating everything from your own language into what they're saying or vice versa. Yeah. And, you know, you, you hear these, you're, you're, hear people using idioms and saying strange things like keep your eyes peeled Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and you know you'll think of what that you'll think well that means this and if you're tired 
it is tiring mm-hmm. to talk to somebody that doesn't say things but always you know ask questions as statements and yeah all of that sort of thing just it, it's tiring if there's lots of background noise it's tiring it becomes difficult so it's nice to go hang out at a science fiction convention for example where most people there are they're they're not going to be talk, doing small talk they're just going to be yeah. you know you can just they've all got a common yeah, interest you so. can just talk you can just talk about the stuff you love in your yeah. own language and everyone yeah. else thinks you're awesome so that's yeah. great and i'm by no means saying that everybody in fandom it has some sort of pathologized disability thing that isn't what i'm saying i'm just saying that <laughs> fandom values fandom values loving things and yeah having passion and you know if you spend hours and hours you can be you on your own terms without having to yeah put on a well I was going to say without having to put on a mask but I'm sure there's lots of people who cosplay yes. who do that quite a lot but absolutely <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on it's been a real eye-opener and um, hopefully it's made people more aware of um, Asperger's and autism in a, in a perhaps in a very small way Yes, I could have probably spoken for an entire podcast just about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's been great to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, it's nice going back to those childhood programmes and it's been a really good, fun experience. And thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me. Escape from the Radio Free Scarrow Bunker. Broadcast via the Subwave Network. Powered by Huon Energy. This is Bridging the Rift. A podcast bringing the Doctor Who universe together. You may remember us from the Radio Free Scarrow Wednesday cutaway episode, The Ballad of Jack and Yanto. Yes, we're Radio Free Scarrow's first spin-off series. The canine and company to their Davis and Doctor Who. Think of us as their swatty younger sibling, the Lisa Simpson to their Bart. We think the Doctor Who Universe fandom is the best there is. It's enthusiastic, thoughtful, irreverent, insightful and creative. But it's also split into enclaves, be it old fandom or new, live journal or forums, Torchwood or Doctor Who, and the many different types of creative pursuits. We want to celebrate, highlight and discuss all the different parts of the fandom, talk about what they're talking about, look at what they're creating and weigh in on hot topics and debates. We're also hoping to recreate the atmosphere of a convention panel by inviting a guest panellist with a special interest in our subject to join us for each discussion.